There's never phones or technology at the dinner table. It just isn't because we realize the value of that. Every one of my children and my nieces who live in Maryland have all made quilts with my mother and they've done woodworking with my father. It's a conscious decision that you make as a parent to provide some of these skills, give these kids the opportunities to recognize that there's a whole heck of a lot more out there than just social media and video gaming and all of that. Knitted Together is more than a trite play on words when used to describe a group of mature women who meet weekly to make quilts and blankets and advanced projects. In a rural town in upstate New York, there's a group of seniors who call themselves the Material Girls who weave deep friendships and transparently share the ups and downs of their lives. They have lots of laughs as well from needling each other, but levity is only part of their story. They are skilled, and the treasures they create are lasting ones for everyone, from newborns to newlyweds. Listen to them spin some yard right here on The Age Sage. Here's your host and the senior editor, Robert J. LaCosta. Well, welcome to another edition of The Age Sage. My name is Robert LaCosta, and I have the privilege of being with the material girls in upstate New York. And I'm just going to go around and have you introduce yourself and where you're from real quickly. And I will give you just a touch of a background. We are sitting around a kitchen table with a stunning view of pines in upstate New York. And right now we're into quilting, but that's not the only thing we'll be talking about today. So my first guest is Chloe Van Aken. Uh, I live in East Greenbush and I have the honor of hosting. Normally, we host our uh, meetings on Monday morning here at my home. Every Monday that we can meet, we do. And we try to make our appointments uh, for doctors or otherwise away from Mondays. We call it our sacred space and our support group. So we treasure this time together. So you're looking at it probably 40 to 50 meetings a year. More if we can. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm Pat Cunningham, originally from Albany, New York, uh, but relocated to Brunswick, which is upstate just outside of Troy. I've known Chloe for many, many years, and the other members, Norma, Pam, and Gail, I've known for, what, about 10 years now? (laughs) Uh, There's a story behind that. Who's counting? (laughs) Hi, I'm Pam Hassett, and I live in Cooksaki, New York, and this group is is an incredible support system, not only for me, but for every member. And you never quite know when you arrive on Monday morning what the topic of conversation might be. But no matter what it is, there's laughter, there's joking, there's heartfelt communication, there's support for whatever stage of experience we might be going through at that moment. And I think the reason that this happened in the first place is We all participated in a quilting class at Log Cabin Fabrics in Selkirk, New York. It's a most incredible, wonderful fabric store. And Chloe and my mother were in a class together, and Chloe mentioned to my mother, who you'll meet in a moment, uh, that she wanted to learn how to knit. 
So this was the knitting club at first. And then sometimes you don't necessarily have a knitting project that you're working on. So then it became just anything fabric arts. Uh, we Today I happen to be doing something that is going to be starting a new quilt. So I was getting advice from all of these sage women about how to organize these fabrics. So I happen to be the youngest one in this group. <laughs> But I'm not young. So this is, for me, an incredible opportunity for all of these women have been through the stages of life that I'm currently going through, and I don't know what I would do without them. Wow. All right. Next. My name is Norma Messer, and I live in New Baltimore now, but I'm originally from Maine. And Chloe and I started a knitting group. And this is the very first time that I haven't done knitting in the knitting group. <laughs> I think we've been doing this about four years. Yeah. Mm. And I'm the oldest but the wisest. <laughs> no, I'm not really the wisest. Pat is the wisest. Pat is our quilting teacher for a long, long time, and she is amazing. And the person missing from our club today, because she's away, is Gail Ben Moshe. And she just finished working a career job, and we invited her. We knew that when she finished that job, she would be invited to join us. It's a closed group. We're not looking for any new members. So this far, is. No. Bob, you can't join this as but a member. I apologize. But this you is just going can't. all over the world. You might get a call from the Middle East now. <laughs> you just never know. Or what we can do is we can inspire other people to create a group like this because this is, in fact, why you live. Building relationships with other people who have common interests, even if it isn't knitting or quilting or, or whatever the case might be, you must find other people to support you through your life because life is unpredictable. Well, you guys are doing life together, that's for sure. As we're looking at the table here, there's these just a swash of gorgeous you know, purples, and we've got some oranges in keeping with the fall season, greens, yellows. I mean, uh, just, be just beautiful fabric. And why don't I start with Norma? You're working on something... And why don't you give us just a teeny bit background, because I bet you a lot of listeners are going to relate to what you're about to say. What are you doing here? I'm working on a quilt for a baby, and it's a dragon quilt that Pat originally did the very first one, and I had dragon envy. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I made a, a dragon quilt for my great-great-nephew, and I'm doing the binding. But I almost always knit. We also do a lot of recipes and a lot of food tasting. <laughs> <laughs> We'll get to that in a minute, too. Now, what is it about quilts and babies? I mean, besides the obvious, you know, cuddling cover, there's just some... We don't always make baby quilts. We're making baby quilts this year because we had seven September babies. But we do quilts for grandchildren, friends, friends, and ourselves. Our children. I would love to know what the oldest quilt in the world is, because I, I have a uh, relative who uh, did fabrics for a living, and uh, she was dating a quilt back to the 30s so I, I know they go way back to that oh at least the 30s um 30s there was yeah there, there are fabrics that date back to the 1800 civil war era in europe i think one of the oldest quilts that has been verified and dated was from the 17th century but quilts were used for under armor for um the knights they women would take pieces of fabric and a filling and just sew them all together as padding and protection for the knights way back when in Europe. So quilting has gone through so many different evolutions over the years from different styles. You have the Baltimore album quilts, which told stories. There were uh, English paper piecing, which women designed to do these very intricate patterns. You know, so 
you know, in the 30s during the Depression, you had feed sacks. Um, women would use feed sacks to make quilts. They used everything they could during the Depression. Have and, you ever seen one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, many, many times. Many and, times. And are they different colors? Or are they they're more different, brown? But they're, no, they're different. Uh, what happened is because the women were using them to make quilts, the feed companies then would design fabrics for the feed sacks. So they were all different prints, or they might be a label of the feed sack name company. And, um, you know, it became um, kind of a popular thing. Women would look for certain types of feeds because they wanted the feed sacks for their quilts. Yeah, they would go to the store with their husbands and tell their husbands what kind of feed he should buy based on the fabric that they wanted. So, And there are still feed sacks out there. If you go on Etsy or if you go on eBay, you'll see people selling feed sacks. I think it's amazing that no matter what stage we're in as a country or a culture, uh, things keep going. You know, parachutes used for wedding dresses. You know, it just nothing stops anybody. Well, and there are sales. There's a company that makes bags and and things like that out of the material from sales in Maine. There's a company that that's what they do. They reuse, recycle. It's it's astonishing the fabrics that you can find out there and quilters you keep every scrap that you have and you organize it by color by the size for whatever project might be coming in the future so a full this this material that i have in front of me is actually a gift from a friend and my intention is to make a quilt for her and if i have enough material i'll duplicate it and make one for myself and what's left over after making this quilt i'll save for maybe a future applique quilt that might have flowers that might have and we all borrow from each, other, each other's stash. One of the recent projects that we did in the class, the applique class that Pat teaches, was called the Friendship's Garden. And we specifically, each one of us, tried to borrow a piece of material from one of our friends here because then it is a true friendship quilt. And whenever we look at that quilt, mine is on my bed right now. I remember my friends that participated in us making that quilt. So we all made exactly the same designed quilt, but they don't look alike in any way, shape, or form because we used a different, what Pat would call a colorway. Right, different colorway, different fabrics, same design, but different fabrics and colors. This is this is really fascinating because I love metaphors. And as you're talking about sharing pieces of material, you know, you swap stories, you share your heart. Have you found that a Monday morning might just perk you up a little bit based on a piece of fabric of somebody else's heart? Absolutely. And there's a great deal of generosity in this group. It's not just, we don't just share fabric, we share ideas, techniques for either the knitting or piecing. And we share, I mean, there's there's a lot of personal conversations that go on too. And I think we lift each other up and, you know, there's lots of laughing. We laugh at each other and, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's a wonderful time. I look forward, when I used to, I'm retired now and when I worked, sometimes su- Sunday night was sort of a little anxiety related with, you know, Monday morning going back to work. and But now it's like Mondays are... You know, Mondays are sometimes the brightest spot in the week. I'd just like to say one other thing about the uh, history of quilting. I thought it was very interesting that quilts were used for the Underground Railroad also for for runaway slaves and um, that they would uh, somehow the message would be communicated that you're safe here. This is a safe place as they work their way 
north. Are you saying that the quilt, if they came in the house, they know they weren't being double-crossed? No. It could be hanging on a line, and then they would know that, just like having a light in the window, but this was, they'd have the quilt there, and it would... Almost um, tell a direction, you know, or let them know that it's a safe way to go. There's a lot of research about this. And so you can find nonfiction books that explain the whole story about how quilts were used by people to guide. So there would be one quilt and it would have a, a shape, for example, that kind of pointed in a particular direction, an arrow per se, not a true arrow because it couldn't be that obvious but it would guide them to the next post on the Underground Railroad where they would be safe. What we talked about too is uh, we do quilting, we do knitting, we do recipes, but we also share names of books. So there's a book series called the Elm Creek Quilters Book Series. There's 21 books and it will switch from current day to historical, a Civil War time. And you could hear all of these stories in fiction, but there was a lot of truth in it based on fact. And I found so much information about this and also that each different quilt design has meaning behind it. So, for example, you wouldn't do a wayward path quilt for a baby because you don't want the baby to go on a wayward path. And it's fascinating, some of the history and the stories that go with that. No, Pam, you're absolutely correct. And, uh, you know, it's just more a, a tradition. I mean, my grandmother raised 11 children on a farm in way upstate New York. She was a widow. Her husband died very young. Um, and so I have my aunts who are the rock of my life and who've been such an inspiration for me. They all quilt. They will still quilt. The oldest is 96 and the youngest is 87. But I get, we get together once a year. So quilting brings families together. I have some of my grandmother's quilts, and I just think of her often. I'm just going to insert this because this keeps coming up throughout a lot of conversations that I have with seniors. And being a senior myself, I see it all the time. The things you're all talking about, and specifically as you get back to the generations, I'm trying to think of how the young generation with technology and the speed which technology is developing, would be able to intergenerationally share something. I, I, I don't see a lot of great-grandfathers playing video games, you know. Uh, <laughs> but okay. Do. But they do. All of my grandchildren have made a quilt with me. But not, you don't do video games? I don't do video games. <laughs> but she does She does play, for example, word games, Scrabble, yeah. things like that with yeah. the kids. My husband and I specifically and intentionally started playing some video games so that we could communicate with our kids and connect with them. And also to get a sense of how addictive might these games be and how do we draw them out of that. There are specific times where there's there's never phones or technology at the dinner table. It just isn't because we realize the value of that. As my mother has said, this is Norma is my mother. I don't think we said that. We might have, but every one of my children and my nieces who live in Maryland have all made quilts with my mother and they've done woodworking with my father. It's a conscious decision that you make as a parent to provide some of these skills, give these kids the opportunities to recognize that there's a whole heck of a lot more out there than just social media and video gaming and all of that. We're not necessarily always successful. It's a hard process. It's intentional. Mm-hmm. Norma, when you're with children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, whatever, what is the time 
like? Does it move too quickly? Is it just right? Is there a, uh, if you were to take the blood pressure of, of, of the grandchildren, would they be mellow? Would they be excited? They would just, it's just a time of being with grandma. Depends on the child. Some children are just so mellow and others are very OCD and really, really intentionally working really hard to make the quote. Nobody's scrambling to get out of doing it. Oh, no, 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 no. No, not at all. They like my food, too. (laughs) Bribery is not the same as intentionality. No, well, it it, it, it plays in. As we're talking, the fabric of our society is is, um, getting fragmented with, um, you know, media, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren moving all around the world. I have a relative who just was called out, you know, to the Middle East, so he'll be a long way away. This intentionality that you're doing, for example, even what you're doing, you are all being intentional. So then the next layer of generations, it's easier to transfer what's really going on versus saying, I, I got to do anything just to keep them off the smartphone or, or the computer. So the intentionality that you've developed, and like you say, you're scheduling any appointments around Monday, this has become a priority for you as people used to do on a Sabbath. Absolutely. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not a morning person, as all of my friends know very well, <laughs> but I'm here on Monday mornings yeah. because it's that important to me. Yeah. And I think, as you said, Chloe, you guys have transformed the term Monday morning. <laughs> well, and, and I made a conscious decision. I'm still working. I am a professional coach, a life coach, so I teach intentionality, and and if I'm not living it, it's harder to teach people. And I am able to run a successful business while at the same time committing every Monday morning, and I only have so much time that I'm going to get to spend with my mother because life has an end, and I'm not willing to give up. I know, this is terrible. No, no, she keeps, every every time she turns a new decade, I ask for 10 more years. So I keep asking for 10 more years. Uh, but I will not give up this time that I get to spend with her because it is that valuable. And, uh, you know, intentionality is one thing, but fighting for something is another. Fighting for time with a parent, fighting for time with grandchildren, fighting for time with each other. You know, if you're not necessarily a fighter, how do you uh, make sure that you still do this? I think it's because it's so important to us. And it's hard to, first of all, I think it's um, hard to find good friends, you know, who are committed to you and you can be committed to them. It's a, it's certainly a two-way street. We help each other in so many ways. And I don't know if that answers your question. It's like, I, I think it's not just support, but it's inspirational. And I personally like to create things and that's what we do, whether it's, you know, a menu or if it's a quilt, or another thing that we haven't mentioned that we've done that is really nice, and I look forward to this, is once in a while we'll do a day trip. And in fact, the knitting that I'm doing now is a a pattern for a a sweater that we got the last time that we went to, I think it was Northampton. And uh, it was just such a fun day. You know, it's not, we didn't have to go on a big, uh, get on a plane or go anywhere. We just, uh, it was well planned and uh, happy memories. You didn't have to go to a senior center and, and buy a ticket for the Amish country. <laughs> Speaking of uh, food. <laughs> hey, I'm Italian. What can I say? You mentioned food. Food 
has always been, whether, you know, it's sourdough or whatever, whatever you know, um, has always been a, a unifying, uh, something that brings people together in certain cultures. It's it's really kind of sacred. In the Italian culture, which I grew up, you know, there was um, sort of immovable times like you have here on Mondays. There was, you know, Sunday afternoon, Wednesday or Thursday night, the pasta nights. Um, I think one of the spaghetti companies latched onto that in New York City and made, um, I forget. Prince, was it Prince Wednesday? Spaghetti Prince, Prince, spaghetti. Prince Spaghetti Day. Food just brings people together. And how many different recipes have you guys swapped? <laughs> a lot. A lot. And and we don't always have food when we're here. We'll generally have a cup of tea. or But if Chloe has made a new recipe, it comes right onto the table. And it's like, ooh, taste these new scones that I made. Uh, try this salad, this strawberry poppy seed salad that I've made. And we keep adding to our collection. Gail is gluten-free and dairy-free. So then we all try something new with that to see. And because we love her and we care about her and her well-being, and we all have people in our lives who have dietary restrictions. So that's the thing about friendship. It doesn't matter the cost to us. We do it because we care about the other person. We share tools, we share recipes, we share fabrics, we share our lives, we tell the truth, we're transparent, we're authentic, uh, we're vulnerable. We create a vulnerability here that allows us to share what's really going on in our lives because that's how you get the support and the help that you need sure at be- every stage. Sure beats a cocktail party where everybody says they're fine. <laughs> we like that too. How much do you like that? <laughs> Not on Monday mornings. <laughs> And and you know, tell me about the tell me about the trip. What did you do? You all went in one car. Pam drove, and uh, we met here, I think. Yes. And we just we drove over. So of course, there's a chatter all the way over. And we were lucky enough to have a fabric store right next door to the quilts shop. So we the went knitting or the knitting the, the knitting shop and uh, webs. Might as well give them a plug. And Valley Fabrics was the the other place, the fabric store. And then we had lunch. So I believe we went to we, first. We went to the the knitting the yarn. We got the yarn and all the patterns and. We were just delighted and buzzing about that at lunch. And then Pat had found a really cute place that was, uh, you know, like five stars. And, and we enjoyed that. Then we went out to the fabric store. And, and then just we, we just were with a smile on our face the whole way home with all this uh, new merchandise we had and patterns and plans for future projects. And fun together. I, the laughter and the ease that comes with being with good friends. There was never any... But he's separating off into their own place. Or I don't remember ever in the four years that we've been together ever having a tiff. I, it just doesn't exist because it's not worth that. My daughter tells me not to. Other than that, that's true. Well, uh, off mic, we were you were exploring some patterns, and you were talking about it's. It sounds like a cross between geometry and higher math. Tell people who are not that familiar some of the planning that has to go into that and how that even weaves its way into conversation and helping one another. So just as an example, Pam came today with Show and Share with this absolutely incredible box of fabrics that are multicolored and different color families, yellows, oranges, and she said, what am I going to do with this? It was a gift. I want to make a quilt. And somebody had done what we call an early bird quilt. And it's, you know, made up of triangles. 
I believe we've all made at least one. Except me. Except Pam. So she's now going to be a, an early bird girl. And so anyway. Why, why is it called the early bird? Oh, that's a... a well, because it's just the name of the pattern. Okay. It kind of looks like a flying geese unit right. for quilters. So anyway, so Pam has all these fat quarters and we have to decide, number one, do we have enough to make all of these blocks for the quilt? So we do a little math, okay? So you can get uh, X number of four and a half inch squares out of a piece of fabric that's 18 by 22, okay? So you can get this many squares, which will yield this many blocks. So, uh, you know, it's just a matter of, and, and it's, we all contributed to this discussion. It wasn't just me. It, it, Chloe added hers. She went down and got the pattern. Norma talked about how she did it. Um, a little different from the way that I do it, but it's like driving a Chevy or a Ford. Going to get there. But it's just a little different inside the car. What kind of emotions rise at the prospect of a new project? I am a writer, and when I have a blank piece of paper on my computer screen, my blood starts flowing. Yeah. And some people don't, but for me, it gets it's, going. What, it, you see this, all this potential. You can create virtually anything you want. What rises up in you? Oh, well, I... I like to call myself a beginner because I'm constantly beginning new projects. I get that excitement and that adrenaline rush when I see new fabrics, when I see a new pattern, when I see a new technique. I get very excited and can't wait to start it. I work in a fabric shop, so I'm constantly exposed to all of the new fabric lines, the new patterns, the new notions. We got to give your uh, cell phone out. People are going to come to your shop now. Oh, yeah. Um, It's just, but it is incredibly exciting when I see a new line of fabrics and say, what can I do with that? And then I go home and I start looking through my patterns. I start looking through my books. I grab a piece of paper and start sketching something out which is why I have so many UFOs, unfinished <laughs> objects at home, but they do all get finished. But it's it really is when I see new fabric and new colors and new patterns, I just, I'm just, get, I get so excited. That's great. We all have multiple projects that we're doing at the same time because I'm working on a, a quilt that I can't disclose for a child of mine that is, it's been a long time coming. And the planning of it has been huge. It's a design that I saw out and then I started it and that design wasn't going to work for me. So we've been recreating and creating and massaging it and changing it. I had my son who is an art major help me with parts of it. We've gone back and forth and around and around different pieces of fabric and how is this going to work out? And it's going to take me a long time to implement it. And I can't work on just that one project because if that particular child is home, I have to work on something else. So I have a different project on my design wall. I have this project. I have one that's a wool applique. I have regular applique. I have different things to work on at different times, depending on my mood or my level of energy. And I think that's the same for all of us. We have multiple projects in different stages. And I mentioned the name of the fabric store that Pat works at before. It's Log Cabin Fabrics in Selkirk, uh, New York. It is it's an astonishing place to be. We have this, it's a happy place. And I support that small fabric store, that local fabric store tremendously because it's that valuable of a place. I don't just go there to buy a piece of fabric. I go there to say, what do I put with this one? How do I accomplish that? Do I do a two and a half inch binding or two and a quarter inch binding? 
What do you think the best layout for this would be? There's a wider support system than our small sacred group at that fabric store. They have connections with others. They have designers that come in. They have machine quilters who come in and pick up your quilts. The big uh, store that works on machines will come in and pick up your machine and take it for service and bring it back here rather than you drive to Gloversville or Pennsylvania in order to have your machine serviced. Wow. That brings up something we talked about earlier, which is the history and the rich history of quilting. We'll get to some of the other things. I want to talk about knitting too. Thank you so much for tuning in right here to The Age Sage, to part one of a two-part series with The Material Girls. Be sure to tune into part two of this series, and of course, do check out all of the other incredible interviews on The Age Sage on any major podcast platform. It's The Age Sage with the senior editor, Robert J. LaCosta. Costa.